One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode, A Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. How are you? I'm good. I'm moving, so there's a lot of stuff going on there. But I have to do final history. Of course, we're gonna we're gonna get into. We're still doing the five nineties, right? Yes, and the empire is going further and further away back in time. But I do have something about the Assyrian Empire this time. The very last thing about the Assyrian Empire. What is it? I'll tell you when we get there. Oh, all right, good. But first, I need to know more about bear paws. Yes, remember we talked about bear paws in our, our episode on China. So I said I promised the listeners and you I would look it up. And bear paws apparently is one, a Chinese delicacy. It's actual bear paws. It's not a piece of pastry? No, that's a bear claw. Well, okay. We call those bear claws, but bear paw is an actual bear's paw. Wait, wait a minute. It You take the paw from a bear and you mm-hmm. eat it? Apparently, yeah. Okay, tell me. Well, it's, it's taste, they, say, they say it's like a pork cooked at the right time and temperature, but smooth and soft, not as greasy as fat pork. So um, it was first uh, one of the last um, Zhao, Zhou emperors. Um, he liked it. He's, he had a reputation as a torturer, a drinker, and a host of extravagant orgies, and he served bear paw at them. And I have the recipe here, too. It's got one bear paw, two ounces of honey, a teaspoon of salt, 20 ounces of chicken broth, a third ounce of ginger, and seven, seven ounces of grain alcohol. <laughs> Those so, seven ounces of grain alcohol knock you out. So you'll get drunk. Maybe it's like the the sour herring. You have to get drunk to stomach this. 
Maybe. I don't know. If you maybe when you get drunk, when you're hanging, you won't feel it as bad. That's why you wanted to eat the bear paw. I don't know, but yeah, it's one of the eight rarities of China for the, you know for for food. Uh, the eight rarities. Yeah, there's eight different rarities Chinese uh, Chinese food. Tell um, me about them. I could tell you some of them here. Yeah, there's well the bear claw. It's number two. There's this other one. It's like a lion's mane or monkey head mushroom. A lot of them are mushrooms. They're like really rare mushrooms. This one um, is known as a vegetarian meat. So then there's this one I just think is it's really interesting. The edible's bird's nest. Is it a real bird's nest? Yeah. Yeah, apparently it's it's made by swiftlets with their saliva and feather. What's a so, swiftlet? Know, it's like a, like a small swift, like a bird, a little bird. Yeah. Okay. It's rich in protein, sugar, and minerals, and it's good for women's beauty. But they, it's the the reason it's so rare is you have to like really process it. You have to cook it for hours and hours, put some sugar in it, and then eat a little bit at a time. Sharks. Uh, okay. Fin. Yeah. Yeah. Bird's nest. Sharks fin. Another. We call a bird's nest. Do you have a bird's? We call a bird's nest when you cook um, an egg inside of a, a piece of toast. Okay, we we do not have bird's nest in the Swedish uh, no. menus. No. Yeah, it's not an actual bird. Just you take a, you take a, an egg, you cut a little hole. I mean, you take a piece of bread, you cut a little hole in it, and you put the egg in it, and you fry it. That's a bird's nest. Okay. Yeah. Caterpillar fungus is another one. What's That's that? number five. That is uh, it's, um, the larva of the bat mouth. It's very expensive because it's got um, numerous health benefits regulates your immune system it's anti-tumor anti-fatigue moistens your lungs strengthens your kidney it could be soaked in liquor or hot water so um, oh, that sounds kind of good yeah. yeah yummy caterpillar it's probably better than sour struman sour struman anyway we have another mushroom it's called the king of fungi it's matsutake This is cool because it only survives in a virgin forest with no pollution or human intervention. No one has ever successfully planted it. It takes five years for it to grow and it only stays fresh for at the most 48 hours. That sounds very expensive. Yeah, special food. I don't know if they have that in America or Sweden either. Uh, no. And the last two is the uh, is the sea, cu sea cucumber, the leoning sea cucumber. It grows very slowly. takes about five years. So that's why that's expensive. Also supposed to be good for you. And then the last one is the morel mushroom. I think I've heard of those. I can't uh, complain about mushrooms. The mushrooms are delicious. I love mushrooms. I just made some paella last night with mushrooms. But, But to the be bear paw. Oh, sorry. To be clear, Fano History does not support eating shark fins. No, I, I agree with that. I believe that that's something that we're not supposed to do. Okay, maybe we should go back to history. Yeah, we will we'll go back to history. That's sort of historical. The bear claw, though, I imagine that's expensive because it's pretty hard to, you know, kill a bear. Yes, uh, we in uh, Jämtland, the region in Sweden, they shot uh, 220 brown bears in uh, legally uh, this year because the bear population is getting too big. Ah. But I didn't know about this. I didn't ask any hunter I know to get a bear paw for me. But I might next year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be about 800 bear paws, 900. <laughs> that would be extremely good to sell to, to the Chinese embassy. 
Yeah, for sure. Okay, this episode is the sort of general timeline for the five nineties, except for then Greece and India and China and everything we talked about in the other episodes and in the upcoming episode. Right, right. We have one coming up too on Jerusalem. So we have some general events here that we haven't talked about anywhere else. It's about the year 600 uh, that the Celts settle Iberia, that is the Iberian Peninsula where Portugal and Spain are located today. And we'll run into the Celto-Iberians later, but for now they are there. They uh, have some intruders at the coast. Uh, Greeks are getting close. And the Phoenicians, of course. But the Phoenicians are not interested in conquest. They're interested in trade. Mm-hmm. And we know they've been there for 300 years already. Right. We mentioned them in the 900s. Yes, for sure. And we know that Marseille was founded around here, too. And the Celts and the and the Greeks are starting to mi- mingle a little bit. Yeah, that's pretty close to uh, Iberia as well. Yep, for sure. There is a historical statuette from this era as well, the Hirschlanden warrior, a sandstone representation of a Celtic warrior from Germany at this time. So the Celts are around. They are in France. They are in, uh, yeah, I guess, the lowlands, the Belgium and the Netherlands. Yeah. They are in uh, Germany. And they are now intruding into Iberia as well. But, they're farmers, right? Oh, yes. Every, everybody is that has any kind of civilization at this point. Yeah, yes, that's true by this point. And we are now 200 years from the major showdown between the Celts and the Romans, which we'll talk a lot about in about oh, yeah. 5,000 episodes. <laughs> You're right. Uh, remember the Persians? I do. They remember will the steal this show very shortly. Yeah, more shortly than we realize. Yeah, but for now, they are the minions of the Medes, yeah, the vassals of the Medes. But they do have a leader, the king of Anshan, mm-hmm. uh, Cyrus I. And it's about this year, probably, that he dies and is succeeded okay. by his son, Cambyses I. Okay. Dating the Persians uh, will get better, but for now, it's all uncertain. Yeah, yeah. But at some point around here, the new king, Cambyses I, has a son, his firstborn child. What's his name? Oh, he named him after his father. So his name is Cyrus. Mm, Interesting. He may Uh, have a good future, this boy. Oh, yes, he will. (laughs) He will probably be the most famous person we will discuss in this show. Uh, up to date when uh, he starts getting going, but right now he's an infant or maybe Mm -hmm. not even born yet. His mother was Mandane, the daughter of Astyages. Astyages. Astyages, the king of Media. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know how much we should talk about Cyrus here. Well, I know. I mean, that kind of shows you that Cyrus, this guy who was going to become famous, as I'm sure a lot of fans of history know, he, you know, he know they know who we're talking about. Uh, this is Cyrus um, the Great. Of course. And he, so this shows you he's half Mede and half Persian. And Persians are sort of like Medes. Or, you know, uh, don't don't but, say that to the Persians. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, 
but you know the Greeks sort of interact inter what's the word I'm looking for they interuse the term you know uh, Herodotus calls all the Persians Medes and so Cyrus's mother was a Mede and his father was a Persian yes um Herodotus of course also gives a mythological account of Cyrus's early life but maybe we should save that for later I think we'll save that for later when we cover him. But we could say that he's lucky he lived because, you know, the story is he's sort of like, you know, uh, like Jesus, like Moses, like all the famous people that some, they try to kill him before he's before he gets going. He's one of the many characters who steal the origin story of Sargon the Great. Oh, Sargon was supposed to be killed as a child? Yes, it's the, the Moses story, Superman, etc. They're all, all the story of Sargon the Great. Yeah, but that was in two thousand two hundred BC, so we haven't talked about him too much. No, no. You got the baby in the basket. You got the baby who wants to get killed. Somebody saves him. We have a Romulus and you know, very common story. Yes, so Cyrus has one as well. But this podcast will become the Cyrus the Great show in the five fifties. So yeah, we we like to plant him here. Yes. Yeah, I think that's good that we plant him here because you get the you know you sort of get in the background of what's happening. I always like to say that. So we'll, we'll mention him again, again in the 580s. Yeah, for sure. And now we have a sponsor. We do. Don't forget to check out our sponsor. You know, some podcasts have sponsors. Remember Casper Mattresses? Well, we have Marduk's Mattress Emporium. If you want to make love like a god, you have to get a, you have to get a mattress from Marduk's Mattress Emporium. You could, catch, you could catch them in any of the major cities around the Near East. Even the new stores in Thebes and Memphis. Remember, I always say the mattresses are guaranteed to be 85% free of bed bugs and stinging insects. And you just tell them Fan of History sent you and you'll get a 10% discount. Marduk's Mattress Emporium. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Nebuchadnezzar is the main character of our show now. Yeah. And it seems he spent the year 600 BC in uh, in Babylon. And the Chronicles excuses him by saying that he stayed in Babylon to refit his numerous horses and chariotry. Ah. And that could very well be true. Get some more arrows, right? I mean, how many arrows have they been using up? As he's probably copying the Assyrian strategy, he is using a lot of arrows. Yeah, I'm sure they are. In uh, 599, it's time to go to war again. He's beginning to look more and more like an Assyrian king. Mm-hmm. As he marches his army into the Levant and attack and raids the Arabs in the Syrian desert. So, uh, beat them up. Two pronged attack. Uh, apparently, he was successful, but. Uh, historians can't decide what he actually earned by this, so there's no major change. Yeah, you just sort of kind of like robbed them and burned down their tents and stuff in those times. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. 
The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. But now, the very, very last gasp of the Assyrian Empire. Oh, yeah? In 599, in Dur once a powerful city, once a powerful city in the Mitanni Empire, long before we began Fano history. Yeah. Then, the capital of a new Assyrian province in the 13th century BC, founded by Shalmaneser I. But oh. it is this place called today Tel Shikamad, okay. where the last records are found. Apparently, in a cellar in this place, somebody was writing down something that indicated that he was the king of Assyria and he intended to reclaim the empire. So we have oh. we have like I didn't notice we have like some notes from a meeting, like, <laughs> guys. Okay, things might look grim. We are in this cellar, <laughs> but and the Babylonians are everywhere. But at least it's us five. And we can do this. <laughs> the Judean front, like those guys. Yes, but sadly, <laughs> they could not, and then the record ends, and the Assyrians are finally silent. Is that it? Did, did Nebuchadnezzar go after them, or they just they just fizzled out on their own? Or maybe they got jobs. <laughs> this is maybe quite they got hired by Marduk's mattress emporium. This is geographically quite close to Carchemish, and it's in old Neo Hittite territory. Oh, gotcha. But uh, now the empire is the Babylonian Empire, one hundred percent. Yeah. It does say in the Babylonian Chronicle, I think it says in 599 that he, he mustered his troops and marched into the Hattie land. So maybe he went and stomped them out, those five guys. Oh, maybe he did. Yeah. Well, yeah, we have the, the Babylonian, Babylonian Chronicle here. Yeah, they call it the Jerusalem Chronicle because, you know, it's a big part of it. I, I, didn't, I realize also at some point around now that um, Ashkelon was destroyed. I see. You know, um, like, you know, the Assyrians kind of left the Philistines alone, but it seems like Nebuchadnezzar just, he destroyed Ascalon. I think he, had, he just didn't want to deal with them. The Assyrians used to have, like, 
they're kind of like a protection racket, you know? They would have their own um, tax collectors and stuff by ports and things like that. And then they would, because they found this archaeology of different cities and Phoenician and the Philistine cities where there'd be like two buildings. There'd be like the local tax collectors and then there's the Assyrian ones overseeing everything and making sure they're getting their cut. So they would, you know, they'd fight and beat you up if you didn't pay up. But it seems like Babylonians didn't want to, you know, I don't know, maybe they were too overextended. They didn't want to have to try to have put out fires everywhere. So they just like flattened it. That was the end of Ascalon. I guess they're pretty stressed with their new empire and all. Yeah, because in the 70s, we're going to see they destroyed another, they destroyed another city in the, in the Phoenician city. I see. So, yeah, he likes to march around like Assyrians, but he really knocks things down. Yeah, really, we think about it, because we know what happens in Jerusalem, too. <laughs> yes. number on the Levant. <laughs> we are going to do some special episodes about the Babylonians and Jerusalem. And uh, in 598, Jeconiah succeeds Jehoiakim as the king of Judah yeah. in Jerusalem. And then stuff happens. Should we talk about that here, or do you want to save that for the other episode? I think we'll save it for the episodes. We have it covered really good. We we actually already have it ready to go. And it's um, I recorded an episode with Gil from uh, a podcast of Biblical Proportions. And he's a really good expert on, you know, this, this part of history. As really I, into the details. So yeah, As I understand it, we have two major Babylonian attacks on Jerusalem. One in 597, yeah. one in 587. Correct. So we'll do episodes on those after the 590s and cover both the events in 597 and 587. Correct. Yeah, I mean, essentially what happens is he comes in and he changes the king. The, ba- the Jerusalem doesn't, um, doesn't fight this, at this point. These, the, the king has changed. That's the, the beginning of the first Babylonian captivity, which is a real important episode for the Bible. So a lot of the Bible was written while they're in captivity in, Jeruz- in Babylon. So that's why the king was switched, and he, um, the, that, the, the current king got sent to Babylon to live in, as you'll see. He, he didn't live so bad. He sort of a gilded cage. Uh, yeah, so we'll move on to other events in 597. Yeah. The Babylonian army goes west again, but turned back immediately after reaching the Euphrates. Hmm. Uh, and then... There is a weird event. Remember Elam? Yeah, this is weird. Yes, and it's uh, sort of broken in the chronicle. So from the chronicle then, in the ninth year, the king of Akkadian's troop marched along the banks of the Tigris. Uh, Something is gone. The king of Elam, something is gone. The king of Akkad, uh, something which is on the bank of the Tigris, he pitched his camp. While there was still a distance of one day's march between them, the king of Elam was afraid and panic falling on him. He returned to his own land. Yeah. And this seems extremely strange. As we know, Elam was destroyed by uh, Ashurbanipal, and then it sort of the remains were taken by the Persians. Seriously, that is really weird. I wonder, is it like a faction? Because, yeah, the Persians are there. We know that. Uh, they do reckon. still have a king. I guess so. One king somewhere. And we know his Where name. Yeah. Maybe Susa. He Maybe he has some king in Susa. Uh, this guy is Humban Kittin, the son of Shutur Nahunte. That's definitely an Elamite name. 
Yes, and everything else seems to point to the fact that they are actually ruled by the Medes or their lackeys, the Persians. Yeah. But we will have in the 580s a record from the Bible against a, a record from the Bible about the state of Elam. Mm. So in 587, I will give you another Elamite fact. It is interesting. I, I saw that there was um, – I posted a couple – maybe it's over a month ago. They they might be starting to finally be able to decipher some Elamite um, script. That will be amazing because there is Elamite. They write in cuneiform, but we don't know what it says. Yes, their language is weird. Yeah. Humbap and stuff like that with those names. Do you remember Vasco da Gama? I do. I mean, I didn't know him personally, but I've heard of him. <laughs> uh, do you remember what he did? He sailed around the world. Oh, he sailed around Africa. Oh, he sailed around Africa. That was Magellan that went around the world. Yes. Uh, but here we have a record of somebody sailing around Africa. Hmm. 2,100 years before Vasco da Gama. Oh, sailed all the way around Africa. So we're not talking about Hanno. We're talking about somebody else. We're talking about Hanno. We are. Hanno the Navigator. But this is, of course, highly contested. Yeah. At some point, between 610 and 594, Neko, the pharaoh, yeah. reputedly commissioned an expedition. <clears throat> and if you want to have a great naval expedition, why would an Egyptian pharaoh want that? But... If you did want that kind of expedition, you had to go to the best sailors around. And they are, of course, the Phoenicians. Mm -hmm. so, so do you think it would be a Phoenician or like a Carthaginian Phoenician? The difference is still not very clear what uh, is Carthage and what is Phoenicia. But uh, this guy is from Carthage, I think. Well, Hanno would be. I think you know, we should do an episode on Hanno because I have a lot of research on that. And Han oh, I know we that, probably will. Yeah, because there's because there there was until the Romans destroyed it. There was information. There was like a I forget what you call it, and we'll cover it in the episode. But there was you know basically like a proclamation, some of his description of Hanno's you know trip around Africa. But I don't think Hanno went all the way around Africa. He only went he only <laughs> that, went like halfway around. I was getting to that, but we'll save that oh, for sorry. for the five eighties then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do that in the five eighties. I have a, and I'll give a shout out to um, the Explorers podcast. I have a, I have a friend is uh, Matt from the um, Explorers podcast, and he helped, he has a, a full podcast on that too, and he he helped me out with some of the research. Okay, so we'll do a full episode on Hanno. Yeah, for sure. And the gorillas. Yes, and the gorillas. <laughs> Maybe I'll put some of the gorillas with the Z at the end band in that. And this is the point where we leave Neko II as the pharaoh, because he dies in 595. Oh, yeah, he does. You're right. Yes. And we have then Samtik II, or Samiticus II, yeah. as the new pharaoh. Yes. He won't be pharaoh for very long. There's a little bit of a spoiler, but... He is, an, and I don't know why it says that some people say that he might have removed Neko's name from his father's monuments, and some say yes, and some say no. And I mean, they seem like a nice family. I don't know. <laughs> so the rumor <laughs> is that the rumor is the Samtik went around and removed his father's name from all the monuments for some unknown reason. 
but this is also contested. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's when this family, you remember this family started back with Neko the first, right? Remember, he's the one who sweet-talked Ashurbanipal into not getting killed. Yes. Ashurbanipal put back the Egyptians as the pharaohs of Egypt. They hadn't been the exactly. pharaohs for a very long time. Exactly. All Libyans and uh, Kush between Yeah, them. right. Exactly. So in 595, Nebuchadnezzar is chilling in Babylon. But then there is a rebellion yeah. In Akkad, which is like Babylonia. Yeah. And the Chronicle tells us, quote, with arms he slew many of his own army. His own hand captured the enemy. In the month of Sabato or Adaru, it's unclear, the spring of 594, he marched to the Hattiland where kings and officials came before him and he received their heavy tribute and then returned to Babylon. End quote. So uh, there was unrest in Babylonia. That's all we know about it. That's all we know. It's pretty interesting, right? I mean, he seems like such a strong ruler and wouldn't go against him. I guess every time he went out to the Hattie land or to the Levant, then something would happen on the east. Like the Elamites came out and then he had a rebellion. It's not easy being king, you know. Yeah, this once again feels a lot like the Assyrian Empire. I know. It's like whack-a-mole, too. Like every time you go on, it's, someone's coming at you on the other side. Yeah, that's that's all we know about that rebellion, but it must have been, you know, yeah, that's how it goes. Meanwhile, in Egypt, Samtik II is not looking to confront Nebuchadnezzar because the Babylonians are super dangerous at this point. So he instead looks south. Yeah, where kind of interesting. Where the kings of Kush are like running their copy of Egypt still. So Samtik leads an incursion into Nubia in 592 BC, maybe getting as far as the third or even the fourth cataract of the Nile. Puts up uh, Stele in Thebes, telling them that uh, everything went well, we inflicted a heavy defeat on the kingdom of Kush. And we also have some uh, Greek uh, graffiti on a left leg of a colossal city statue of Ramses II on the south side of the entrance to the temple of Abu Simbel. It's pretty interesting. I know, right? It's like the Greeks are like carving into the statues. Like yeah, and the, the Greeks are much more um, uh, verbal than the, the Egyptians. So this uh, graffiti says, quote... When King Samedicus came to Elephantine, this was written by those who sailed with Samedicus, the son of Theocles, and they came beyond Kirkis as far as the river permits. Those who spoke foreign tongues were led by Potasimto, the Egyptians led by Amasis. End quote. Yeah, it's quite a carving. I guess it helps them have an alphabet as opposed to hieroglyphics. <laughs> Incredibly informative. <laughs> I know, right? For graffiti, it's not like, you know, like the Romans, they're drawing penises on the walls and stuff. <laughs> and in order for this graffiti to survive, it had to be carved. Right. And, and not to like sketched. Yeah, not like a tag, like, you know, on the side of a train or something. And also very clean. There are no, not like the Roman soldiers who drew, drew male Reproductive yeah. organs of walls in Britain. <laughs> yep. It's funny how you find this stuff, you know what I mean? Like, 
uh, maybe back in those days, like, look at those Greeks. They're messing up our monuments. But now we're like, hey, thanks. 2,500 years later, we got the information. And maybe it's these Greek mercenaries that help Samtik in this invasion. Uh, Kirkis, which was mentioned in the graffiti, is actually near the fifth cataract of the Nile. So now we are far into Kush. Oh, yeah. He was just beating up Kush. I think pretty sure there was um, there was Jewish mercenaries, too. There was they had the mercenaries from the Levant and stuff because this was they were um, this was the time where the different factions were going on and and there and a lot of um, people from Israel well I should say Judah were moving into uh, Egypt and they had a lot of mercenaries Elephantine had a had a whole Jewish community yes there, it's actually there's a Jewish temple there's yeah. a Jewish temple Elephantine which is uh, super weird but that's a subject for another episode. Yeah. Because yeah. the Jews did only build temples in Jerusalem. Yeah, but they had one there. There was even a letter where there was like they were asked. They were sent messages. I remember reading about how to worship properly because they kind of worship multiple gods at that one in Egypt. They didn't know they were supposed to just worship Yahweh. And you know what you have to have in order to have a Jewish temple instead of a synagogue? What the Ark of the Covenant? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's another story. Yeah. Um, so this war, there has been peace between Egypt and uh, Nubia for a long time. But it seems that this copy of Egyptian culture was actually getting pretty powerful. So this mm. was a preemptive strike from Samtik. Yeah, I think so. That's my opinion. Otherwise, the, the Kushites would have come back to uh, reinvigorate uh, the 25th dynasty. Exactly. Yeah, I think he just he grabbed his, got his mercenaries together. You know, I mean, figure, imagine <clears throat> Greek mercenaries versus the uh, Nubians must have been, I mean, probably a, what's the word, like an unfair fight, sort of. Because you don't see the Nubians, like, all armored up like you see Greeks. So you could just, you know, more see they're bowmen. So you see these armored Greeks coming down with their heavy weapons, just, like, wipe them out. That must have been so hot for them. Oh, could you imagine? But the Egyptian... The Egyptian campaign gets uh, to the capital of Kush, Napada, yeah, and uh, defeats it. They loot the temples and they destroy a lot of royal Kushite statues. Yeah. So the Kushite capital is sacked, and we have uh, the year three Karnak stele from the Egyptians telling us the following: "Quote the army." That your majesty sent to Nubia has reached the land of Pnubs. Nubians from all part of Kush had arisen against him, their hearts full of anger when he attacked those who had rebelled against him there because he was furious at those who had arisen against him. His majesty took part in the combat as soon as he reached the battle. The rebels capitulated before a single arrow was unleashed against them. Those who tried to flee did not succeed and were brought back as prisoners. 4,200 men. End quote. Huh. And it seems that this crushing defeat then uh, will prevent any further Kushite ambitions into main Egypt. Yeah, I mean, I think he's just trying to secure the border. Just go down there, whack them out, you know? Yeah, he definitely did not want to uh, sort of... Uh, reinvent the new kingdom which included Kush but he doesn't want Kush, he just wants to 
not have to think about this south border. Yeah, exactly. I, that's what I. That's what it looks like to me. He's just, you know, he's just uh, securing his borders. Yeah, and they were specifically targeting monuments of the 25th dynasty as they were kings of both Kush and Egypt. So right. they hacked out their names and the emblems of royalty, especially the Egyptians' emblems of royalty, from their statues and reliefs. Yeah, I think um, that's, if I remember correctly, they even in the current today, like the 25th dynasty is almost like we try to forget about it. And then the museum in Cairo, I, I think it was, we mentioned it in one of the podcasts, they, they sort of skipped the whole dynasty, try to sort of erase its memory, sort of like a foreign, you know, occupation. Oh, yeah, but they were fine with the Libyans? Yeah, they're okay with Libyans. They just don't like Nubians. Uh, but now, with his southern border secure, Samtik can now get involved in the events in the Levant. And mm-hmm. in 591, he launches an expedition into Palestine to like cement the resistance against the Babylonians. Right. And he probably gets some people in Jerusalem uh, very positive about this. Well, he definitely does. Like Zedekiah, the bonehead. <laughs> That's what I call Zedekiah, the bonehead. <laughs> More about that in our mm-hmm. uh, Jerusalem episodes. Absolutely. That's what they should be named in history. Zedekiah, the bonehead. <laughs> Anyway, that's what we'll name this episode. Well, I can't. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tell me about uh, Aliates and Croesus. So, uh, Aliates. So, Aliates is still around, but he's getting older. So, Croesus is his son, and he was a governor, and he built some. Um, he built a, a center for military actions against the Cimmerians. So, this is when. Um, they finally, the Lydians finally rid rid the, themselves of the Cimmerians. So, um, so Croesus is going to come. And Croesus is another person that's going to be in our story, like Cyrus. These two, they're sort of they're coming together to be uh, come to a head at some point. Uh, this is another another guy from Lydia with the reputation of being super rich, right? Correct. Yeah, rich as Croesus, like Midas was like way before, and of course. Can't forget that Gyges is the start of this, the start of this dynasty. So if you're playing fan of history bingo, yes, Bernie said Gyges again. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a little continuation to a story we talked about. Remember, we said that Aliates and his father before him were always raiding the Miletus, and they were um, they were just going in and they'd burn down their crops and kind of beat them up and then go home and steal their crops and do all that. So the Miletians, I should say. So Herodotus has another further story about this. <clears throat> Excuse me. During one of these um, one of these marches, when he would go in and do that, he burned down the accidentally the wind blew and he burned down the temple of Athena. So then Aliettes got sick, so he um, went to the and he wasn't getting better. So he went to the oracle of Delphi, and they said. Well, we're not talking to you until you rebuild that temple. You burned, it got burned down. That's not cool. But a representative from the Miletians was there and kind of heard about what happened. I mean, of course, this is from Herodotus, our friend. He likes to tell a good story. So he heard what happened. 
so then they were going to make like sort of make some kind of a truce, you know, with the. I mean, Aliette's wanted to make a truce, but to make it to make the terms come out even better, what they did was when the herald from from Lydia was coming into the city, um, the Milesian city, they said, let's get all this food together because don't forget they're burning all their food. They figured they're on their last legs, right? Let's, let's get all this food together and we'll make like we're having a big feast, like everything is great. So when the when the herald came in, he saw all these people having a huge feast, and then he sent the message back to. The king, he said, they're like really good. They're having feasts and everything. There's no problem. So Alietes built two temples to Athena there, and they became friends. And they stopped. They stopped, you know, raiding them and and doing that to uh, to the Miletians, which you kind of needed to, because what's happening is um, the Medes are starting to come. You know, because the Babylonians and the Medes, you know, divided up, you know, their areas of influence, and the Medes, you know, they already knocked out Urartu. So next on line would be Anatolia, and which is the Lydians. So they're going to start um, rubbing up against each other. Urartu will survive until our next episode. Yeah, but the Medes are all over it there. The Cimmerians are all run out. The Medes are all over there, you know. And the Medes are starting to bu- going to start to bump up against the Lydians. Oh, it just you know when they said they, I just want to address this one thing because my somebody asked me very special person to me. I said, how does a building, how does a stone building burn down? And I said, you know, I forget, but I know they do. So like how did this temple of Athena burn down? So what happens is a couple of things. Usually there's wood inside of these things, like beams and stuff like that, holding things up. So furniture, burns. yeah, stuff. Furniture, that'll burn. And that'll, so two things, either the, the beams make everything fall or it gets so hot that the stone doesn't actually burn, but it cracks and it all crumbles, and it looks like, you know, it just crashes like ashes and dust. So that's how a stone building burns down. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Well, I can imagine uh, burning down a temple would cause some grief. Oh yeah, you, you do not do that. The gods are gods are very, very you know picky. What's the word? Picky. Absolutely, they don't like that. Easily That's aggravated. Right. Easily aggravated. Absolutely. In uh, in our last episode, our last regular episode of the Five Nineties, we'll talk about the Romans. And okay. about Cartish, and we'll wrap up the Middle East next time. Okay, but that's uh, that's uh, next time. All right, let's do that. Do you Close want to mention uh, what's new in history? I do. 
Tell me about we, it. I, thank you. You're going to hear some new episodes. They're going to be in our regular feed. We're going to do them every other week still for now until I can get more in. But we have two episodes. Well, we'll probably have three episodes right away. And it's uh, it's called What's New in History. A couple of them are just going to be me. You're just going to hear just Bernie uh, doing them. And I'm not going to tell you what they're about yet because they're going to you'll have to find out. But basically, there's. You know, history is not a static thing. It's not just this is exactly what we know. We There's constantly scholars, archaeologists, DNA experts, just all kinds of stuff that comes up that's new. And so, and it's all areas of history it will be. So I have a couple that we have ready to go. And it's like I said, it's just what's new in history. And sort of the slogan is, the future is a mystery, but what's new in history? <laughs> This is so exciting because I, I have encountered this uh, during the eight years we have been doing Fano history. That then suddenly something new appears about these events that were two thousand six hundred years ago. Right. Yeah. There's like there's like you know ground penetrating radar. We have DNA studies. I mean, just from the time I got my history degree in nineteen ninety, so many new things have come out. So we're going to try to help you guys keep up with them. Sort of put the information together. Tell you what's new in history, and you know, I hope you guys like it. Check it out. And that, that's also a good place to put any updates in case our old episodes uh, are now old news. That's a good idea. I'll make yeah. sure I keep that in mind. Yeah, for sure. Until for then, sure. check out our Facebook and uh, our uh, not that active YouTube channel. And remember that we uh, we very much appreciate your sponsorship on Patreon. So patreon.com, search for Fano History. And if you give us uh, a dollar or two per episode, we would be very happy. And we could keep be. this show going until World War II in about <laughs> 10,000 episodes. When we get to the 580s, it'll be 100 years that I've been doing the show. And that seems like 100 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been doing the show for 410 years now. Yeah, you have. <laughs> I love it, though. I do. I love it. I love the listeners. I love it all. I appreciate it. You know that. Yeah, so until next time. Okay, cheers. Take care. Sky can hear me. Bernie can't hear me. I'll figure this out in a second. I see it. Good. Go get it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Good. Do you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Nice. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit better at this shit. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. <laughs>